0: All right, good morning. So if uh, you've been here at all over the last two weeks, you know that we've been doing a series on how to deal with very pervasive and common problem, uh, the problem of anxiety. Uh, I'm sure we can all agree it's, uh, it's very prevalent in our culture. In fact, research tells us that one in four American adults at some point during their lifetime Uh, will be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Now I want to start with a really quick recap of where we've been because I know not all of us have been able to be here uh, all three weeks. Uh, Two weeks ago we talked about how God's will for our lives is not for us to live in an ongoing state of anxiety. Scripture is clear about that. God wants something better for us than that. Uh, And if we have put our trust in Christ, God wants us to experience a growing sense of peace and joy in our lives. Sometimes we wonder, what's God's will for my life? Well, that's part of God's will uh, for our lives, an on, a growing sense of peace and joy. And based on Philippians 4 4 through 7, we found some, some wisdom for how to move uh, from a place of anxiety to a place of peace. Uh, three things we identified remember that God is with us. God is a constant, loving presence. He is there 24-7, closer than the air we breathe. We have to remember that. Two, we need to learn to ask God for what we want. Uh, Most of our our anxiety is rooted in desire, uh, the fear that we're not going to have what we really want. And so we need to be honest about our desires, take them before God, turn them into requests. And then number three, we need to be thankful for what we have. Now all of us, if we put our trust in Christ, regardless of how difficult our circumstances get, we do always have things to be thankful for. And we we need to learn how to cultivate an attitude of gratitude, which helps to reduce our anxiety level. And then last week we talked about this concept of renewing our minds. This idea that part of our Christian faith is supposed to be taking control of what goes on in our heads because a lot of the time our anxiety has more to do with what's going on in here than what's going on in the world around us. So we, uh, we talked about a couple things that we can do to renew our minds so that they're more in conformity with the Lord's way of thinking, uh, as opposed to the patterns of this world, which are negative and destructive. So some of the things we need to do, we need to check our media consumption, The average American watches about six hours of video a day, and that shapes our minds. So we need to be conscious. How much media am I taking in, and what kind of media am I taking in? Is it making me think more in conformity to the patterns of this world, or more the way that Christ would want me to think? Two, we need to remind ourselves of who God says we are. So much of our anxiety in this world comes from the fact that we feel like we are orphans in the universe. We feel like nobody's looking out for us, nobody cares for us, we're completely on our own, but scripture tells us something very different. It tells us that God loves us very, very much and he has adopted us into his family. Uh, We are not orphans in the universe, we are Sons and daughters of the King of Kings, which makes us spiritual royalty. There is somebody who is looking out for us, and we need to, if we can believe that, then that can transform the entire way that we live. And then finally, we need to reject futile thinking. Futile thinking is the kind of thinking that never leads to anything useful. And it is very characteristic of the anxious mindset. It's constant negativity. It's always thinking of the worst-case scenario. Uh, It's ruminating on things that we can never do anything about. And when we find our minds going in that direction, we need to say, I'm rejecting this kind of thinking. This This is the way that demons want me to think, not the way that God wants me to think. And then finally, it's important for me to reiterate this, because if you haven't been here the last two weeks, it's very important for you to hear this, which is that sometimes medication can help. Um, Some of us, our anxiety is rooted very much in in spiritual things. It has to do with the way that we're, we're thinking. But sometimes there is a physical or genetic component to our anxiety disorder. And there is no shame in recognizing that and then seeking help. For that. Our brains are physical organs, just like the rest of our bodies, and that means that they can malfunction. And if they are malfunctioning, there's nothing wrong with seeking help for that uh, through a doctor and through medication, in addition to doing these things as well. Okay, so that's where we've been. And honestly, after last week, I thought maybe we're done with this topic. You know, maybe we don't have to address this anymore. I feel like we've we've taken care of it fairly thoroughly. But the more I reflected on it, the more I felt inspired to say a little bit more. Because over the last two weeks, we've been reflecting on how our faith can help to alleviate our anxiety. But what do we do when our faith seems like it's actually a source of anxiety? I believe that that happens to us sometimes. Um, and what I want to do in this last week, addressing this topic of anxiety, is to ask the question: What do we do when our beliefs about God and Scripture seem to be making us more nervous than peaceful? And some of you might be thinking, "Well, I don't really have this problem," but I know from conversations that I've had, not just in this church, but throughout my time in the Christian sphere, that there there is uh, there are a lot of people who uh, their faith becomes a source of anxiety in their, in their lives. Now, technically speaking, our faith should never be a source of anxiety, because faith, by definition, is trust in God. Right? It's trusting that God is good, trusting that he has our best interests at heart, trusting that he is ultimately in control and that we, we can count on him. Right, so, properly defined, faith should not be a source of anxiety. But when I say faith, I mean all the thoughts that we have surrounding God and Scripture. Right? And sometimes the thoughts we have surrounding God and Scripture can be a contributing factor to anxiety in our lives. And when I say that, I have two main types of thoughts in mind. So these are by no means the only two possible sources of faith-related anxiety, but they're definitely two of the most common ones. And the first one is anxiety over whether or not we're really saved. Anxiety over whether or not we're really saved. Now, some of you might be wondering, depending on how much you've grown up in the church, what does that question even mean? Saved? What are you talking about? We'll give you a moment to explain that. <clears throat> Part of the core message of the Christian faith is that we human beings need to be saved. Uh, and it seems to me that this is an idea that we should all be able to agree upon whether we are Christian or not. Because we are born into, into this world with certain desires. Right? We are born into the world with a desire for peace, for significance, for healthy relationships, for physical health, and for immortality. And yet the world only seems to give us these things either partially or temporally, right? So the reality is we're born with all these desires that the world just can't seem to satisfy. So we need to be saved. We need to be saved. And the message of the Christian faith is that God has made a way for us to be saved. To be saved from the forces from without that prevent us from experiencing these things, like death and disease and other people's sin, and the forces within that keep us from experiencing these things, like our own pride and selfishness that ruins our relationships and that sort of thing. And the way that God has done that is that God sent Jesus Christ to have victory over the power of sin, the power of death, and the power of the devil. And Jesus had victory over these things, and if we put our trust in him, then we too can share in his victory over those things, both now and into eternity. Okay, that is the gospel message. And some of us, we believe all this. right? We believe that we need to be saved, we believe that we can't save ourselves, and we believe that Jesus has made a way for us to be saved. But we doubt, am I really one of the people... Who is saved? Is Jesus really going to save me? How can I be sure of that? Wow. They're noisy this morning. <laughs> so, okay. What should we do if we're asking those kinds of questions? Well, what I would recommend is thinking about your relationship with God through the analogy of a marriage relationship. And the reason I encourage you to do that is because that's what Scripture encourages us to do. Uh, Throughout the New Testament, we are told that Jesus is like a good groom, and we in the church are like his bride. Now, if that makes any of the guys here uncomfortable, it doesn't need to. Okay? It's an analogy, which means that there are particular things about the marriage relationship that are like Jesus' relationship to us, and none of the things uh, about the relationship that are like a marriage relationship should make us uncomfortable. Uh, with this analogy, we're being told that we are loved by God, and we're being told that God, through Jesus, proposes to us a covenant relationship. He offers to us a relationship of loving faithfulness. And God demonstrates that faithfulness, that that covenant loving faithfulness, through Jesus, because Jesus was willing to die to save us from our sins. So, okay, if we're wondering, am I really saved? We have to ask ourselves have I said yes to God's marriage proposal? Have I said yes? Jesus has shown his love for me by paying for my sins. He's invited me into relationship with him. He's proposed to never leave or forsake me. Have I said yes? Or have I pushed him away? Right? If we've ever sincerely prayed to God a prayer that says something like, Jesus, come into my heart, that is one way of saying yes to the marriage proposal of God to us. Now, it's possible that if you are dealing with anxiety over this issue, it's because you've never actually said yes to God's proposal. You've never taken that step of doing that. And if you, if you never have, then I encourage you to say yes. Say yes. It's the best thing that you could ever do. And you do that through prayer. You just do that by getting alone, talking to God, being honest with him, saying yes. And maybe you've done that and you just want a little bit more confirmation in your soul that you really have said yes. Well, the good news is God has arranged so that there is a a way of us expressing that concretely, uh, which is a special symbol called baptism. Uh, Baptism is not the thing that saves us. But when we choose to be baptized, it is our God's ordained way of saying publicly to the world around us, I have said yes to God's proposal of covenant relationship, of loving faithfulness to me. So if you've never been baptized, uh, I encourage you, if that's something you want, if you want to say yes publicly, to talk to me about that. I would love to try and make, uh, arrange for that uh, to happen for you. But I think most of the time, the people who struggle most with the question of am I really saved are people who have actually already said yes to God. And that's unfortunate because imagine if you were married to somebody and then every day they said to you, are you sure we're married? You know, could I see that marriage license again? Could we go down to the town hall after work today and just you know, check again to make sure that the license is signed and it's, it's for real. That would get old really quickly. And also, imagine what it would be like to be married to somebody who is constantly suspicious that you actually meant your marriage vows. Who is constantly suspicious, even though they had no good reason to be, that you were not going to be faithful to them. It would be very hard to have a happy marriage under those circumstances, wouldn't it? You know, often when we're anxious about whether or not we're really saved, it's as if we're doing those things to God, right? We're asking Him over and over again to prove that we're actually married, you know, to prove that He's actually going to be faithful to His promises. And if you did that in an earthly marriage, it wouldn't end the marriage, but it would put a huge amount of strain on it. It would make it not very much fun. And so if you're doing this in your relationship with God, I want you to hear God's voice saying to you, relax. Okay? You can trust me. I really am committed to you. I showed that commitment with the blood of Jesus. So stop worrying about it, and let's get on with the business of living life together. Stop worrying about whether the license is signed and let's live life together. Now you might say, well, but Ryan, I'm worried that I've messed up too much. I said yes to God's proposal at one point, but I have committed a lot of sins since then. Really bad sins and I feel distant from God. How can I be sure that he'll still have me? And if that's you, there is a passage that you need to commit to memory. You need to write it down. You need to put it somewhere you're going to see it. If you need to tattoo it on your arm, then do it. It's 1 John 1.9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Take that fear and anxiety that you have about your sin and turn it into a confession. Acknowledge it before God. Express your regret because God is ready and willing to forgive. He doesn't want you to feel distant from him forever. He wants to restore your relationship and he wants to help purge that unrighteousness out of your life. But the first step involves coming to him, being honest before him, confessing and receiving the forgiveness that he has to offer you. So, Chances are, if you are anxious at all about whether or not you're saved, you should probably stop worrying about it. Uh, If you said yes to God's proposal, stop worrying about whether or not you're actually married to God and start focusing on living life with God. That is the best thing you can do. All right, so that's one source of faith-related anxiety. The second possible source of faith-related anxiety I want to address is fearing that we're not doing enough for God. Fearing that we are not doing enough for God. Some of us are very aware that God calls us to help grow his kingdom through what we do in this life, right? Uh, We're very aware that we are supposed to be like ambassadors for God in the world. That we're helped to, we're we're called to help spread the good news of the gospel message to invite people to receive God's proposal. That's part of what He calls us to do. We know that we're called to work against injustice in society, to help to alleviate people's suffering, to work uh, for the dignity of those who are poor and marginalized. Right? We know that if we are spouses, we're, we're, we're called to be good ones. We know that if we're called to be parents, that we're supposed to be loving and raise our kids well. Right? We know that we are called to do all of these things. And when we start to realize how broken and messed up the world is and how sinful we are personally, we can start to feel overwhelmed and anxious we can feel like there's not enough time to do all the things that we're supposed to do. And it's really, really hard to actually get this stuff done and to do it well. And we can just start to feel like, I'm not good enough. I'm not doing enough. And feel anxious. And if any of us are feeling that way, there is a great story in the Gospels for us. Uh, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, turn to Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. Verse 38. Luke 10, starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I feel a lot of empathy for Martha in this story. At least 13 people have come into her home, right, 12 disciples plus Jesus, and she's trying to bless them with a good meal, which is an admirable thing. And it's not an easy task. Anybody who's hosted knows that. And, you know, in this day and age, we've got grocery stores, we've got good imported food from all over the world. But I can't imagine how hard it must have been in the first century in the Middle East to try and prepare a meal for that many people. You know, in those days, if you had extra guests, you can't just go down to the pantry and get another box of pasta, right? It must have been incredibly difficult. And and Martha is doing her best, but she's completely on her own. Uh, Because her sister, rather than fulfilling the role that society would expect for her to fulfill is instead hanging out with Jesus. She is hanging out with Jesus instead of hanging out in the kitchen. And Martha's upset about that. All the work has fallen on her shoulders and it's hard to blame her, right, for being upset about this. And Martha thinks, this is wrong. Surely Jesus will agree with me, right? And so, you know, like a little girl going to her father, she comes and she says, Jesus, tell Mary to help me. You know, exercise your authority and make things right here. Put her in her place. Now, if the story had stopped here and we were asked to guess what is Jesus' response going to be, I don't think most of us would get it right. You know, maybe I would guess if I didn't know the story that Jesus would say something like, let's all help Martha, right? Or Mary, did you say that you were going to help Martha? Because that's not nice. right? But Jesus doesn't say either of those things. And instead, he uses this moment to make a really important point. Okay, an important point for Martha and an important point for all of us. Which is this. More important than doing things for Jesus is doing is being with Jesus. More important than doing things for Jesus is being with Jesus. Jesus says to Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. And what is that one thing? It's being with Jesus and learning from Jesus as you're with him. Uh, we're told that Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet, and that's significant because that was the posture of a disciple. If you were receiving an instruction from a rabbi, you sat at his feet. And as a side note, this is also very significant because in those days, women were not permitted to sit at the feet of a rabbi. Right? So this is actually a very subversive story of female empowerment because if you're looking for evidence that uh, Jesus affirms women participating in ministry and not just being in the kitchen, this is a great example. Right? Jesus went against the cultural norms of his time and, and said, yeah, actually, this woman should be sitting at my feet and that's the, the best choice she could have made. But that is a sermon for another time. So just keep that in mind. But what I want to focus on today is the priority that Jesus gives to being with him over doing things for him. You know, sometimes we relate to Jesus as if the most important thing in our relationship with him is how much stuff we're doing for him, right? How many ministries we're a part of, how many mission trips or service projects we've done, how many people we've converted, And if we get stuck in that mindset, that can lead to a lot of anxiety. But this story reminds us that there is something more important than all those things that we're doing for Jesus. It's are we spending time with him? right? Are we spending time at his feet, learning from him? Are we talking to him? Are we spending time in scripture? Are we praying? More important than doing things for God is being with God. Now, I, re- I want to be really clear. I feel like in almost every sermon, I've got to say, don't misunderstand me, right? It's one of my favorite phrases. Don't misunderstand me. You know, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be doing things uh, to help grow the kingdom of God. Of course, we are called to spread the gospel, to help alleviate suffering, to work against injustice. You know, these things, the church It is necessary for the church to do these things. We are called to do these things. They are all valuable and important and necessary. And when we spend time with Jesus, if you spend enough time with him, he he eventually tells you to do something. (laughs) I promise you that. If you sit at his feet, eventually he will tell you, okay, this is what I want you to do. I have something for you. But if we do stuff for God without spending time with God, We're putting the cart before the horse. Our priorities are are out of order. Here's one one way of thinking about it. Um, Imagine that you have a great friend that you have not seen in a long time. You live far away from them. And so you and your friend plan a visit. And when you're driving... The long trip there, you're, you're excited. You're excited to see them again. You're, you're, you're imagining all the stories you're going to swap. You're going to catch up about your lives. You're going to laugh. You're going to complain to each other. You know, you're, you're, you're so excited to see this friend that you haven't seen in a long time. But when you get there, imagine that your friend is so preoccupied with making this gourmet multi-course meal that they never even really talk to you. Right? They, they bring out the first course and then they run off in the kitchen to keep making the next course right? and you're sitting there eating by yourself and imagine that's the way the whole night goes and you leave without ever really making a substantial connection You know that would be incredibly disappointing for you right? and your friend wouldn't actually enjoy the time they'd just be stressed and anxious about trying to prepare this for you and that's what it's like That's what it's like when we focus only on doing things for God, but not on spending time with Him. It's as if we're anxious to provide God with this wonderful multi course meal, and the whole time God is like, Would you relax? I don't want your gourmet meal, I want you. Another problem with prioritizing doing things for God over spending time with him is that when we do that, we also end up doing a lot of things that I don't think God really wants us to do. They could be good things, but they might not be the good things that God has for us as an individual. You see, because God knows that each one of us is a finite being with a limited amount of time. Uh, It's almost like you have a limited amount of care coins to spend in in any given day, and and God God knows that. You know, one person cannot give adequate attention to all the ills of the world that we should care about, right? One person can't uh, give adequate attention to homelessness, human trafficking, biblical illiteracy, opioid addiction, the Syrian refugee crisis, their aunt's dementia, and their lonely neighbor, right, all in one day. You just, or one week, or one year, you can't do it, right? But when we spend time with God, he helps us to know which things he wants us to focus on in helping to build his kingdom, because he can't do everything, but there are certain things that he has for you, but if you, we don't spend time with him, we, we have trouble identifying what those things actually are, and we can end up getting involved in all this stuff that's not really good or healthy for us, even though it may be good causes. So we need to spend time with God, because then we know where our responsi- responsibilities begin and end, and that helps us to be less anxious. So... Uh, If we want to be free from the anxiety that comes from fearing that we're not doing enough for God, we have to shift from a mindset of doing things for God to a mindset of doing things with God. Uh, In this story, Martha is doing things for God. She's doing something for Jesus, right? But she's not with Jesus. Mary is with Jesus, and Jesus affirms her instead of Martha in this story when we try to do things for Jesus but not with Jesus, we get anxious, we get stressed. Now, I realize that those are just two sources of faith-related anxiety. There could be more, Uh, but whatever they might be, I want to end with this encouragement. Our faith is not supposed to be a source of anxiety. Um, if our view of Jesus leads us to anxiety, then we need to adjust our view of him. And Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. You know, sometimes we think that Jesus is not going to give us rest, that he's not particularly interested in our rest, right? That he just wants us to go, 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 and never stop. But Jesus is interested in our rest, right? In our peace and in our joy. So we need to stop seeing Jesus as unwilling to save us and see him as committed to saving us. And we need to stop seeing Jesus as caring primarily about us doing lots of things for him, and to see him as primarily caring about us being with him, and allowing him to lead us where he wants us to go as we are with him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again that you do care about the state of our souls you care about our anxiousness, Uh, you care about uh, whether or not we are living in fear, and we thank you, Lord, that you want to deliver us from anxiousness. And, Lord, I pray that our faith for each one of us would not be a source of anxiety, but a source of peace. Lord, we recognize that you sometimes call us to do hard things, but Lord, I pray that we would, we would have peace even as we do those things because we know that you are with us, Lord. And that we are not earning your approval, Lord, but partnering alongside you in the work that you are doing in the world. Lord, for any of us who are still struggling with anxiety, Lord, we pray for deliverance. We pray, Lord, for uh, a knowledge deep in our souls Uh, That you do not want us to be anxious, and that through the renewal of our minds, God, uh, we can experience freedom. And for any, Lord, who who might need uh, medication of some kind uh, to see a doctor, Lord, I pray that you would remove any of the negative stigma or shame from doing that, and and that your your spirit would guide um, them in the pursuit of um, of freedom uh, from this pattern of anxiety. We give you thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name.